Well, happy Mother's Day. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church today. It's the fifth week of our Get Up Message series where we're talking about the ways that the resurrection of Jesus impacts our life. And in a few minutes, we're going to get started on that. But first, a couple of things. On your seat when you came in, uh, in addition to the Connect card that you filled earlier, was two of these things. It says rummage sale. And this is our first ever rummage sale as a church. We gave you two so that you could take them home, put maybe one on your fridge so you don't forget, and maybe give one to a friend. Here's what we're doing. We're raising money to support our orphanage and the leaders of our orphanage in Kerala, India. And so what we're asking is for you to come and on Saturday at the times listed there on your flyer, come and uh, walk around this place in the lobby out in the front parking lot. And in addition to that, if you have stuff, gently used stuff that you'd like to give away, we're collecting that all week long. Every day in daylight hours between about 9 and 4. And then on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night as well, you can come to the back of the building. Big garage door will be open. You can drive right in, dump your stuff, and leave. Uh, moms, it's a great time to ask your husbands to clean the house today. It's Mother's Day. And then they can bring that stuff over with us today. Uh, so anyway, rummage shell to help our 4C India work. Uh, on the stage with me today is Lisa Mode. Many of you who call us church home, you know who this is. Lisa is the founder and the leader of a ministry, really, called um, Seven Oaks Farm Itty Bitty Horses, um, which is pretty, pretty cool. You guys have these little miniature therapy horses. And in fact, when people leave today, a couple of them are going to be in the lobby, right? right. Yeah. So stop by, get your picture made with them. That's really, really cool. Lisa, tell us, for those folks maybe who don't know, give us the 30-second, what does Seven Oaks Farm Itty Bitty Horses, what do you guys take care of? Okay, we use our, our miniature horses that are about the size of a, a large, maybe Great Dane or German Shepherd. So we take them into different facilities. Um, predominantly, we are in over 60 different facilities, nursing care, Alzheimer units, places like that, um, in the Cincinnati um, Hamilton area. Um, from there, we are in schools. We're start, we launched an um, anti-bullying program that we do and a reading program that we've been doing. And then we work with uh, our local law enforcement officers, and we do a variety of programs with them. Um, so basically, it's taking our horses in, and we provide a level of comfort and joy for the people we visit. Yeah, and so uh, several months ago, our church partnered with Seven Oaks Farm Miniature Therapy Horses as a strategic ministry partner. They're able to go into places we can't. And we use our slogan, Real Love Now. They take joy and hope to people who desperately need it. And um, we're thrilled that over the last several months, we've been able to help them. This church has been pretty generous. You guys are pretty generous that way. Today, we're going to tell you about another opportunity to uh, partner with them through the generosity of this place. But first, I wanted you to hear a couple stories. So, um, so I got a friend uh, yesterday sent me a link from the Drudge Report. Now, some of you have never been to Drudge Report because you're a Huffington Post person. That's fine. But the Drudge Report is a conservative newspaper website with millions of readers. And these folks were featured on the Drudge Report. It's pretty crazy. Tell me how that happened. Well, what happened is um, AP contacted us and wanted to do an um, article related to, we're in CVG, but we're only there twice a month. So of the 40 or so visits that we do every month, there are only two visits a month. So you guys go to the airport right. and that's gotten all kinds of coverage. It has, tremendous coverage. And, and that's kind of put our name out there. Um, so they contacted us and AP put out a, a really nice article on us and sent it out. And then so all these other publications have picked that up because they share stories. So yeah, we're popping up crazy so places. I've seen you on Good Morning America. You made mm -hmm. USA Today in the last month. Mm -hmm. You're on Drudge Report. I mean, yeah. this is national yeah. coverage. Yeah. Uh, in January, you were out at the Rose Parade. Right. 
which is pretty crazy. So you're like everywhere. Uh-huh. So tell me what this is doing to the ministry that you guys are leading. Well, it's getting our, our name out there and um, the type of program that we have. So we're having a lot of people contact, wanting to know more about what we do, which is really great. Um, it, just so those of you who may not know, we are already booked for all of 2017. So all the places we can possibly visit, we are visiting. We've got a second team that just um, started last week doing uh, visits. And so I'm already booking into 2018. We're about halfway full for 2018. Um, wow. So what we're hoping to do is with the attention we're getting, more funds coming in so that we can add potentially a third team and keep meeting those. Um, with launching this anti-bullying program in um, Especially now, as you know, the, the, the news that came out of Cincinnati of the eight-year-old boy who was bullied and, and committed suicide, they feel due to that. Um, that is a very important program to us, and so we're looking to try to get into all the Cincinnati schools and all 13 Hamilton, Ohio. We're trying to get into Westchester, and so you know that'll be where this third team is going to focus is that anti-bullying program. So you guys are blowing up, but here's something interesting that you may not know, and those of you that have been with us for a while, you've been walking this journey. This thing began really as a prayer and idea that you had. It's pretty crazy what's happened, but you're getting all this exposure, but that doesn't always translate to funding, does it? No. Um, that's the irony is that sometimes people look at all the exposure you're getting or they drive by a church like ours and they'll think, oh, they must be doing well. They've got a big sign there on the interstate or they're all over the news. They got to be doing great. But the truth is, is that that publicity leads and the funding lags sometimes. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. um, You go to places where we can't go. You have conversations we can't have as Mm -hmm. a church, but you take with you, Jesus, everywhere you go. Tell folks about what happened this week. It's a, it's a remarkable story. It is. It is. Um, I'm going to slip another story in there, too. It's real quick. Um, okay, go ahead. The, the, there's another facility that we visit, and um, we've, you, know, you get to kind of know some of the people you visit because you're there month after month after month. And there is a, is a woman at one of them where she, her speech is pretty much what you would call gibberish, um, and she can speak speak, but it's not anything that you'd understand, and she speaks while you're there and tries to explain to you, and you try to figure out, you know, what she's talking about a little bit. Um, This last time we were there, um, the nurses were saying that she had gotten worse, and the gibbering was, you know, even more significant, that you couldn't pick up anything anymore, so she loves to pet the horses and hug them, and she likes to smell them. She really loves to smell the horses, so she's taking a couple deep breaths, you know, smelling the horses, and then we're telling her, you know, we have to leave because we have to go to the other part of the facility, and she turns and looks and says, when are you going to be back? clear as day and it was just like the nurses everybody just kind of turned and was like when are you going to be back that's so cool and so that was just like you know and I don't know what happened at that moment or why it occurred but that happens a lot in the places we go to and that is the motivation that kind of makes me want to be up at six in the morning and working till you know eight o'clock at night with these horses and doing all we do because you see those kind of moments come on um, the second one that, that Ben is talking about is we were in a facility and sometimes um, the residents are in a physical condition the mind is there but the body is having a hard time and we do bedside visits is what we call them and so we go room to room to people who want to see the horses but can't come out so we were doing a, a bedside visit to one of the ladies that we see frequently, and she's a, a huge horse lover, and we come in, and she's a fun gal to visit with because mentally she's, she's there, just her body. She's 93 years old, and her body just does not do what she wants it to do anymore. Um, so we had extra handlers that day, so I was able to kind of be on the sides and not do the main handling with the horses. 
And uh, she took my hand at the end of her time, and we told her, you know, we've got to go on because other people wanted to visit. And she goes, oh, can you stay and talk? And it's like, Ooh. I don't normally do that because it's, it's hard to separate like that. I decided I would and went into her room, and she grabbed my hand, and we held hands, and she patted her bed. So I sat down next to her and talked. And, and so we went through some fun conversation, and we were just laughing and, and having a time. So I was in there about 20, 30 minutes and, and just went over life and, you know, some of the things that she's done. And she wanted to know about me, and, and so kind of conversation went on. Um, so as I was sitting there, um, this particular place, um, rooms, it's like a private room, but there's only a curtain that separates multiple rooms. So the conversation you have, other people can hear because sometimes you have to talk fairly loud so they can hear you. So everything's being heard by other people in the room. Um, and it, it was very clear to me that, you know, I heard a, she's going to ask you a question and I want you to answer it. And it's like, okay. So you, you got an impression. An impression, yes. From, just, from the Lord. Yeah, there was going to be something going on, and it was just like in slow motion. And she turns to me, and she says, Lisa, I want to know how can I get to heaven. And it's like, you know, do I say anything? Because everybody's there. There's nurses coming in and out. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to tell her. So, you know, went through the process of, you know, it's not what you do. It's having a faith in Christ, and uh, there's nothing you can do to earn that. You just have to have a faith in Christ that he died for your sins. And so we went through and talked about a multiple of things, and, um, you know, she's patting my hand, and she says, you know, I'm old. I'm 93 years old, and there's not a lot of time left. And she said just what that meant to her, and she said, dang, if it, she didn't say dang, but she said, <laughs> whatever, if, it, if I'd known it was that easy, I would have done this a long time ago. <laughs> so, but it was just phenomenal, because you could just see a relief in her to know that, you know, I'm 93 years old, and she knows time is, is coming, and that she had peace now. And Lisa, months happy. ago, you stood here, and we prayed that God would open doors for you to not only bring joy and hope, but that maybe there would be opportunity to share the gospel. And there are these pockets of these moments. It's incredible. Here's the opportunity we have. Um, and uh, you can take advantage of it today when you leave via one of the giving kiosks, if you like, or on your Connect card. Um, we're starting a Adopt-A-Horse program. Now, that's not the legal term. We're going to sponsor horses, happy and healthy horses. And if you want to be a part of this, uh, you can do that by simply on the back of your connect card, writing the words where it says prayer and comments, tell me about the horse program or tell me about the horses and we'll send you this information. Or you can leave today and you can go ahead and sign up for this. Um, we're asking people who would like to give $40 a month for one year to sponsor a happy and healthy horse. This money goes against their food, their care, their medical expenses, which is actually a very big deal. And you can imagine the level of cleanliness they have to have in order to go into these medical facilities to take care of them. It's not like they're pulling them out of the field and trunching them through the hospital or anything. So you can imagine all that goes into that. And if you want to be a part of that, and this is not everybody can and not everybody will, and that's fine. But if you want to, we want to give you an opportunity. And then there will be sponsor days where you can go to the farm with your family, see the horses know the horse that you're taking care of, and there'll be communications uh, like this. And so if you want to partner with us in this way, just make a note on your Connect card on the back. Tell me about the horses, and we'll send you that link, and you make a one-year commitment for 40 bucks a month. You can pay it at once. You can pay it a couple times. You can pay it monthly, no big deal. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to partner with them so that the basic needs are met so that they don't have to turn down opportunity. Again, while their schedules are full, there isn't an equal amount of fullness in the accounting. 
um, just to be totally clear with you. And so if generous people don't step up, it really does hinder what they can do. Lisa, beyond that, how can we pray for you at this season where you are? I'm assuming just the craziness of your schedule. Yeah, it, it, we're kind of in the height of our, our season right now where we're going out every day. We're doing sometimes two visits a day. Um, so pray for our our mental health and being able to be bold in what we say and to, to represent Christ in a, a, a godly manner. Um, you can pray for our, our physical well-being. Um, it's, it's tiring doing what we do and, and all. And again, um, if you're not able to financially contribute, your prayers are always welcome. I, you know, we love that. Um, it makes a big difference in the health of the horses and us, the people we come into contact with. So those would be the, the, the main areas. That's awesome. Well, we're thrilled to partner with you. I bet you there'll be a few dozen folks yeah. that want to help in a specific way, and we're eager to hear about that. Can you guys say thanks to Lisa? We love you. Thank you. Well, I want to talk to moms and everybody else today, and you can follow along in your message notes. They look like this if you want to open up to the center. And I want to dive right in and uh, kind of redeem our time if that's okay with you. So uh, let me talk to parents, but beyond that, there are principles for every life situation. So if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're a mom, if you're not a mom, if you're a dad, wherever you are in high school, college, or later adulthood, we're going to talk about things that apply to you. But first, I want to make sure that parents understand just how important what we're talking about today is. And I hope that you'll leave with some to-dos. I hope you'll leave with some encouragement. I hope that the truth from God's word will impact your daily life, all right? So here's the first couple blanks there, just so that we can get started in the right track. The most important thing you do in your life may not be something you do. The most important thing you do in your life may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. The most important thing you do in life may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Parents, your job is important. It's very important. In fact, God saw fit to start the family before he started the church. The two big institutions God started in creation, the family and the church, the family comes first. The job of parents is a big deal. And on this day, it's very appropriate. In fact, there should probably be at least four days we call Mother's Day where we celebrate the powerful impact that moms have had on us. And I know that as I talk about this, not everybody had a great experience with their mother. And I'm very sorry about that, sincerely. Um, God means for that relationship to be such a portal to our understanding of love and our understanding of ourself and our place in this world that the enemy loves to get involved in mother-child relationships and wreck all kinds of havoc. And for some of us, we've been victim of that kind of crazy making that he was successful in doing. Some of us today, as I talk about this, you've lost your mother. And today, even though you know, you have fond memories. There's a certain sadness that comes up as you talk about this. And I'm really sorry for the loss that you've had. God understands loss, and he's there, he's present with us. But I can't think of a better time, even in light of the fact that not everybody can relate to a positive mother experience, and some of us have pain as we think about mothering. There's not a better time for us to talk about moms. And their important roles. And some of the principles I want to talk to moms about today apply to all of us, no matter where we are. Because it's true that the most important thing you do in life may not be anything you do at all, but it may be the impact you have on someone else. 
particularly your children. Now listen, for those of you that are managers or bosses in a company, the truth of the matter is that while you need to make your widgets and complete the sale and deliver the product, often you're working with people and your importance, your significance goes beyond making widgets or moving product. It goes into the investment you make into the people around you. And it could be that even for some of you, it's not so much the job and the widgets and the delivery of the product and the closing of the deal. It's as much that, but it is also the investment you make in the people around you. Some of us have the joy of knowing what it is to work for a boss who's deeply committed to our development and our good. Others of you don't. And those that do like to stay in those kinds of jobs. And those who don't are often looking for a way out. Feels, you know, really ugly to be stuck in an environment where you feel like you're nothing more than a pawn on a chessboard or a cog in a machine. And you're there to simply produce a deliverable. But you can imagine, even if you've never experienced, how important it might be if somebody said, in my role, I'm going to make sure the job gets done, but we're going to help you as well grow and develop. And that's what moms do. That's what dads are called to do. And I want to talk about sustaining energy so that you can continue to make those kinds of investments. Whether you don't have children, but maybe you have extended family, whereas an aunt or an uncle, you get to have a moment of investment in somebody. Maybe you're a grandparent, and that's your primary engagement of younger people today. Maybe you're just a part of a community or a small group, even around here, where children are part of the thing, or young adults, perhaps. How do you sustain energy so that you can continue to have that important impact and sustain that energy required to fulfill a role like that. Now, I watched my mom, uh, mother, you know, me and my siblings, and from a very different kind of perspective from the person receiving it, it seemed like she had boundless energy and was able to just, you know, complete all the tasks and do them all right. And it's incredible to observe as a kid, you know, just... Of course, I didn't know any better either. I didn't know that sometimes she'd go to bed exhausted and there were tears that I often didn't hear about and those few moments when we could tell she wasn't like 100% happy, you know, and dad would swoop in. They seemed few and far between, but I didn't realize just how human she was until I became an adult. And I watched my wife do that engagement with our kids. And I listened to them talk about her in the same ways that I would talk about my mom. But as a husband now, I had the behind-the-scenes view. I could see that there was, in fact, a toll often that was taken on her and a price to be paid. So I want to talk to all the moms of young kids and all the yet-to-be moms and all the grandparents and the aunts and uncles and in the employers and the friends about a handful of principles where we can sustain energy and stay focused as we realize that perhaps the greatest thing we will ever do is not so much something we do, but the impact we have on other people. So let me give you a couple of those starting off right away. Number one, here's something for us to think about. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about not comparing yourself. So number one says, don't compare yourself. Now, comparison is a trap. Comparison can rob you of joy. It will steal your energy. 
It's what happens when some people look at social media and they see somebody else's life, a close friend, somebody they went to high school with, somebody that lives down the street from them, and they watch the highlight reels of their life posted on social media, and they say to themselves quietly in moments of honesty, it looks like their life is better than mine. They take better vacations. Their kids are better behaved. Seems like everything's going really well with them. Or maybe you go to a high school reunion and you're chatting. And of course, around that dinner table at your high school reunion, you only share the positive stuff. And the people that share the negative stuff, nobody wants to sit with them anyway. So it's just the positive stuff, right? And it's real easy to start thinking, how do I compare with them? How do I compare with them? Or you hang out with your girlfriends, maybe for a ladies' night out, and... And you pay attention to what the other folks around you are wearing. I, I, I don't know that guys do this so much, but I've seen ladies do this. I was at the dentist the other day, and this girl walks in to deliver something to the counter there. I can't see because I've got this thing in my mouth, and I'm kind of looking over. But the lady working on my mouth, she turns to the other girl. She says, oh, you look so cute today. And I thought, I would never say that to my guy friends. That's <laughs> never going to happen. But they're always noticing these things, and it's easy to compare all the time what's going on. Guys, we do this in other ways. We compare, you know, cars or houses or lawns. I happen to have the good fortune of living next to the best lawn in the neighborhood. Can't keep up. Cannot keep up. This guy mows his yard like every two days. I'm not even kidding. And I, I don't know how it happens, but there's not a single, not a single weed in his yard or bare spot. And our house, on the other hand, is the redneck house. <laughs> I live in Westchester, but it looks like Hamilton, is how we like to say it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm the guy that has the dirt bike in the yard. My kids have ridden it around. There's a track, you know, around the back, right next door to the finest yard in the, in the whole neighborhood. It's easy to compare. In comparison, if you're not careful, it will rob you of joy. They have a better marriage. They have a better house. They dress better. She's prettier. And we find all these errs that we kick in. Richer, thinner, funnier, smarter, more talented, more popular. The problem is, is that the moment you start thinking about who's better, that implies a loser. And as long as you're better, you're fine. I'm more athletic. I'm a better batter, a better catcher, whatever. I'm faster. But there'll come a day if better is how we're looking at life when you're not better. In fact, you're the loser. And it's much better to just get out of the comparison game altogether. We look horizontally to identify how we stack up. It's natural. Makes sense. It's what is in front of us, but at the same time, it's not what we as children of God are called to do. We don't look around us. We don't look horizontally to identify how we stack up. In fact, the Bible tells us that our identity, our sense of self comes not from the horizontal plane, but from the vertical plane. We look up, not out. We look up to have God tell us who we are. Let's look at a couple passages, all right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. In terms of getting rid of the comparison trap, here's what Paul writes to this church. Pay careful attention to your own work. 
For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. If you've ever been the parent or the grandparent or an aunt and uncle of a middle school kid, you've seen the tears that come when they start realizing they're not only different than other people, but there are certain values placed on those differences. Maybe you've had a conversation with somebody that said something like this. Well, yeah, you didn't make the team, but that, that doesn't mean you're not important and don't have something to offer. And you can see that pain of comparison very quickly on them. Or maybe a kid comes home and the grade card isn't as great as they would like it to be. They don't feel smart or bright. And so you do the classic and you mean it to the core of who you are. You want them to hear you say, look, as long as you're trying and pressing in, that's enough for us. Do your personal best. You don't mean it as an excuse or laziness, but you're trying to teach them a very important lesson that their value and worth isn't determined by a comparison to another group of people. And we teach this to our kids And we should, but moms, especially, especially moms of young kids, listen to me. You can't just have this lesson in your arsenal to teach your young kids. You have to internalize this lesson. That's why Paul, in the letter to the Colossian church, he writes these words. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. We don't live our lives for other people's benefit. Now, moms, you do to some degree, of course. You know, you've got responsibility, of course. But it's the smile of your heavenly father that Paul's trying to get us to understand is the thing that can drive us and motivate us. And that is actually a sustaining motivation, Getting your friends to observe how awesome you are. Sometimes even getting your spouse to observe that. You know, looking internally, having that conversation in your head about that person who does that thing better than you do. That's not sustainable. That'll rob you of joy. It'll destroy your energy. And so my first encouragement to everybody in the room, and especially moms, don't compare yourself to other people. Instead, let me give you three things to choose instead. Here's the first one. Choose purpose over perfection. When we talk about comparing, we, we, in our mind, we have some ideal that we're comparing against, some perfection to have achieved. Straight A's on our kids' report cards, a perfectly put together house, an upwardly mobile job, a great lawn, whatever it is. Maybe if you're in the church world, it's some kind of spiritual perfection. Your family is, you know, fully Christian, whatever that might mean. But I want to encourage you to choose the idea of purpose over pushing for perfection. See, when you choose purpose over perfection, you make the distinction between two things. Here's an example. You make the distinction that having healthy and high-character children is more important than kids who are dressed perfectly every time they go out. And when you make a decision like that, you're choosing purpose over perfection. There's nothing wrong with being put together. But when that consumes the time and there's no energy put towards the development of character, 
Well, then we're pushing for perfection in some image management versus purpose that comes with the role of a parent. Purpose is powerful. When you have purpose, you help people around you develop new skills, perhaps, versus just focusing on the mistakes that are made. Some of you grew up in a home where your mistakes got all kinds of energy and there wasn't a corollary intentional march towards developing your character and your skill set. But when you failed, now we're all paying attention. That's a misalignment of purpose and a blending into perfection. Let me give you another thing to choose. Managers, this is for you. I'm learning this in new and special ways around here. Choose development over perfection. If you struggle with comparison, if you're comparing yourself to other people and you always feel like you're not there and maybe you're never going to be there, the word development can become your friend. When you choose development over perfection, what you're doing is you're realizing that perfection, the drive to perfection, can actually paralyze And I'm learning new levels of respect for the millennial generation. But one of the things I've observed in them is often if they can't achieve perfection, if they don't think they're going to hit the mark fully, many times they won't even try. The fear of failure paralyzes them. But it's not just millennials, is it? I bet you in your life, in the uh, recesses of your experience, I bet you there might be a moment or two when you knew you should step out, but you wouldn't do it because you were afraid you wouldn't achieve whatever level of achievement you wanted to achieve. And you hadn't even failed, but the fear of the failure. Well, if that's you at all, it could be that what you need to rally around is a sense of development over achieving perfection. Because perfection is toxic to relationships. If you've lived with a perfectionist and you can't ever do anything right, and please don't nudge your spouse right now, but if you do, you know how like demotivating that is. There's a much better goal, the idea of constant development. We're growing. That's an area for our growth. And again, it's not an excuse for laziness. And managers, you know, bosses in the room, grandparents even, Helping your people that are looking to you for leadership understand that their development is as much as part of your goal for them and how you want to engage them as what they can produce really frees up the relationship for all kinds of powerful conversations. Let me give you one more thing. Choose potential over perfection. You can't achieve perfection anyway. It's not possible. You know, look at the standards of perfection. If you've ever watched the Olympics and you watch the folks judge the high dive contest, they have very strict standards, and it's very rare for somebody to hit perfection. And if they do, they often can't repeat it consistently. We've been talking about horses, and I did a little research. The Clydesdale horses, to make it onto the team to pull beer. What a powerful, important job. They have to be perfect. At maturity, they have to be 72 inches high. They have to weigh between 1,800 and 2,000 pounds, and that's a very narrow margin. And they have to have the perfect blend in just the right spots of white, black, and brown hair. And if they're not perfect, they don't get to pull beer. 
Now, perfection is almost impossible. And even if you hit it occasionally, it's impossible to sustain it. But you can keep talking about potential. Again, not as an excuse, but what can God do with your effort versus what will God do with your perfection? It's a big deal. And I've seen moms struggle extra hard. I've seen men struggle extra hard. I've seen high school students and college students and grandparents struggle extra, extra hard when they're stuck in a comparison trap. When God wants us to find our identity on the vertical plane of what he says about us. Here's another thing I offer moms and everybody else in the room. I'm learning because I'm getting older that most everything in life, number two, most things are just a season. There's a season for stuff. Whatever you're going through right now, if you'll wait long enough, most of it will come to an end. Do nothing and most of it will come to an end. Do something and it's still going to come to an end. In fact, if you like the season in your end and you want it to sustain for the rest of your life, it's probably not going to. Sorry. And if you don't like the season in your end uh, that you're in right now, just wait a little bit. It's probably going to change. You see this as kids grow up, but let me give you just a little bit of how Jesus talked about it in John 16. Here are his words. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, Jesus says. And your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. He was talking about the fact that he's going to leave. Things are rough. But when he comes back, everything's going to be fine. But he referred to that imagery of a woman giving birth. Now, I don't know how your birthing experience was, but... My wife, she, is like, she was like a machine. I don't get it. Because I, I didn't even give birth. And by the time we were done, I'm sitting in the chair exhausted. And li- I'm not kidding. The next morning, on all the, well, let me just say, on the first three children, on the first three children, she said, I want another one. Now, on the fourth one, and I'm not sure if it's because of the birth or because of the nature of the third child. I'll leave that up between her. But on the fourth one, she said, I think I'm done. All right? But all the, even if you had a rough, all the ugliness of that process, which is, if you think about it, it's just weird, right? It's just a weird thing. But then, joy. Joy. It's a season. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes uses these words, and we use them at funerals and stuff like that to kind of give a category for our grieving. But there's a lot of truth in here beyond just funerals, all right? Here's what he writes. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search, a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to... Be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Yeah, there are seasons. Let me tell you, if you want to write these in the margin, about a few seasons I've observed in parenting. All right? From about age one to about age five, I call it the season of discipline. This is when you're trying to teach a certain respect for authority because there's safety and danger at stake. 
And so safe and clear understanding of how we relate to each other and how you relate to the world around you. You don't play in this place. You don't put your finger in that spot. You don't touch this hot thing. That's very important. This is a hard season because kids can be dumb. They just can. And selfish, right? And they just want stuff. And in fact, we coddle them in this. We tell them, here, I'm going to dress you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to meet your every need. If you cry, I'll pick you up. If you want to eat, I'll feed you or I'll give you something to uh, you know, suck on so you think that you're being fed. And when you have to go to the bathroom, don't worry, I'll take care of that too. That's what we do to them. And it's fine. It's a season. And in the middle of that, we have to teach them about interacting in the world in safe and proper ways. And from about age 5 to about age 12, season of training, learning skills in life. We start educating them properly around things like how to add and how to write a sentence, how to read, because we want to give them skills for their own success. But somewhere around age 12, 13 or so to about 18, craziness ensues. And it does. Hormones kick in and brain activity speeds up and they start acting in many ways like a toddler again. It's okay. It's a season. You will get through it. But in this season, I call it coaching, where you're not so much putting the thumb on things as you are trying to talk to them and resolve mistakes and talk about the future through the lens of your family values. About somewhere around 18 to maybe 20 or so, you want to transition into friendship, where there's a mutual respect there's meaningful conversation, and you still have a lot of influence, but you now have very little formal authority. That's just seasons of life. And moms, you guys often carry the brunt of engaging children in whatever season they're in. And as my mom told me many times, once a mom, always a mom. There's never a season I'm not your mom. There's never a season I'm not going to care. But you know your role changes over time. It's okay. So if you're going through something right now, wait. But I'm going to move on to number three that's going to help you. When you don't know the answers, I have a word for you. Pray. Pray. When Jill and I were going through a particular interesting season in our parenting, I had a mentor say these words to me. Ben, God loves your kids more than you do. Talk to him like that's true. That spoke to me. God loves my kids more than I do. God loves your kids more than you do. God loves your spouse more than you love your spouse. God loves your grandkids more than you love your grandkids. He should probably be a part of all the equations of your engaging with them. So a couple of ideas here. Talk to him about them and talk to them about him. Now, if you're a manager trying to apply this, you can't go all the way with this sometimes. It's just not proper. But you can pray about things. And I have found that when you pray, it gives you a conversation you get to have in private and safety that often has a positive impact on the conversations you're going to have in public where it can get scary. When I talk to God about my wife before I talk to her, when I do talk to her, it tends to go better. When I talk to God about my kids, whatever it is I'm worried about, because I can carry that stuff right here. When I do engage them, it tends to go better. Prayer is just not the thing we do when we get desperate. I'm actually trying to encourage you to make prayer a regular part of your thing. And if you want sustaining energy to get through what you have to get through, 
Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. Just break that comparison trap and say, God, how do you want me to live my life in light of where I am and what you're calling me to? And compare yourself to the call he has on your life. And if you want to get sustaining energy, remember that a lot of things you're going through are a season. And if you'll just be faithful through them, it can literally just pass. And the number three, if you want to have sustaining energy, pray. And the number four, here's something else I've discovered. There are going to be many times you won't know until you get there. You're not going to know until you get there. This is the big, the, the big joke that they play on parents. Like, if you don't have kids, I'm going to let you in on the secret, all right? Like, if you're a young couple and you don't have kids yet, like, you hear me talking about it's hard, but I'm never going to set you down and take you to dinner and tell you just how hard it is. Because if I did, you'd never have kids. <laughs> and we want you to have kids. And it's not because we want you to have so much joy. We like to share misery. <laughs> yeah, it could be hard. But the hard part about it is, is you don't even know how you're doing. You don't. You don't even know how you're doing. Like, you get glimpses here and there. And there are times I look at my kids and I think, man, I'm an awesome father. And then there are times I look at my kids and I say, Jill has really screwed them up. <laughs> That's how that goes. Right? Because you don't know. And in fact, you're not going to know until you get on the other side of it often. And so what, do you, what, what does that mean? How does that impact us? It means that I think sometimes you have to hold, withhold, putting so much pressure on yourself that you can even define all that's going on. There are moments when you know it's not right, you got to lean in. There are moments when you know it is right, you get to celebrate and enjoy that. But there's a whole lot of in-between. And we worry, don't we? That's why Jesus wrote about worry in Matthew 6. So I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, he said. Don't worry about these things. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? The things, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring on its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. And live right, and God will take care of the rest. Yeah. You can't even fully evaluate at any given moment how you're really doing. And that is tough. And so it's hard. So what you can do instead is you can do your best to live right with God, set a model and example, and then do your best to trust him with the rest. That's what he's getting at here. Your Heavenly Father knows these things are important. He's not unaware. So you can trust Him. And then take responsibility for you, and your attitude and your words and your behavior. Do the best you can. Give up perfection. Pray a lot. And then I think that over time, you can enjoy the journey more. It's more sustainable. Let me give you three things, though, that it being Mother's Day, I think really speak to how to how you can function better. Again, it's for moms, but it's for everybody. So many of you are going to, if you can, you're going to spend a meal with your mom today. And if your mother is passed, there was a time when you did that, perhaps. And we, we celebrate them in one meal. Or maybe your kids got up early and made breakfast for you. If so, that's awesome. We stop that in our house for a very simple reason. 
we spent more time cleaning up the food that they prepared <laughs> than had we just made it ourselves. So now I get out to church and we try to get together at the end. But there's three big words I want to give you moms and really everybody else. Number one, I found that moms function better when you're rested. So we give you one day a year, enjoy it. You're not getting another one for 365 days more. <laughs> so man, make the best of it, right? But when I talk about rested, I'm not talking simply about your physical body, although that's legitimate. Sometimes you still need a nap. It's okay. I know it's hard to find. But if you're going long periods of time without getting sleep, without disengaging, without resting, you're probably putting an unfair burden on yourself. And the world gets darker and darker when that happens. When Elijah the prophet was going through a rough time, and he talked to God about it. There were several things God said. But one of the things God told him to do was just go take a nap. He said, literally, go away to this place. And the Bible says Elijah slept for three days. Kind of interesting. He was in a depression and sleep helped pull him out of it. But in, in, in to be totally like candid with you on the spiritual level, I'm talking here about a rest that comes from knowing you belong with God. Not just physical rest. So in Psalm 116, verse 7, here's, here's what the psalmist writes. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. Talking about the rest that comes from knowing that you're blessed, that you have a lot to be grateful for. And if you tend negative or if you're tired and you can't see the good, sometimes a good exercise to walk through is just what can you be grateful for? What can you... Let go of because you know God's got it or somebody in your life has it. Do you have to manage it all? Are there are pieces you can let drop? Maybe somebody else will pick them up. And I found that when you're confident God has you, it's easier to not be frantic about every small piece of life. So rested. Here's another word, fed. Rested and fed. And of course... Today, when you're eating your meal, whatever that is, enjoy it. But I'm not just talking about physical food here. Although some of you aren't very nice when you're hungry. You're not. It's okay. It's okay. Go ahead, you know, keep a, you know, a nutritious granola bar in the glove box or something for those hangry moments. Whatever you need to do. But when Jesus was talking about food, he always talked about spiritual nourishment as well. So in Luke 11, he said... In his prayer, we call the Lord's Prayer, which is actually a prayer for disciples to pray, give us each day the food we need. He's talking, of course, about physical. But beyond that, he's talking about the fact that we have to feed ourselves spiritually. And you can run out. You can get hungry spiritually. Just the demands of life will never make it convenient to spend time with God. But moms, your batteries will run down if you don't spend time with God. I know it's hard to find time anyway. When I asked my mom about this at some point later on in life, and we were both adults, and I was having children, and we were just talking about how crazy things could be, she told me that as she did devotions with us, she was often doing her own devotions. As she read Bible stories to us, she was learning. She found time to squeeze that in. For her, going to church was important for two big reasons. There was a thing called children's church, where she got a, you know, a break but not just a break. She was able to sit in a service and hear about the Lord and worship together, not distracted on whether or not her ki kids were well cared for. She fed herself. And in that nourishment, she had sustaining energy. 
Rested, fed, and here's number three, connected. I mean here multiple levels. Connected to yourself, that we call that integrity, that there's harmony between what you say and do. Connected to other people, we call that fellowship, the family of God. Church is powerful there. And many of you are in a small group or on a serving team that cares for you. I heard stories about that all week long as people receive care and nurture from their friend groups here at church. But I mean also connected to Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You're not going to be productive. It's not going to work. Yes, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. There's something powerful that happens when you walk with Christ. Your wishes, your desires begin to align with him. And then when you ask things of God in alignment with his values, it's amazing how often they tend to happen. Let me just ask you, parents in the room, moms and dads, anybody, are you feeling rested? If not, might Jesus' words here from the pages of the Bible be important to you? You can find rest in him. You don't have to carry it all. And are you feeling well nourished and fed? And if not, could it be that you're not finding time to sit down and serve up or be served a pretty healthy, nutritious, spiritual meal? And are you feeling connected to God? And if not, might it be that you need to take a few steps. And could it be that if you were rested, fed, and connected, that your parenting, your mothering, your husbanding, your work life, your friending, your schooling, whatever it is, could it be that if you were rested, fed, and connected, might it go better for you? I mean, might Jesus actually have some wisdom here for us that isn't just about heaven, but might it make a difference here on earth as well? I think it will. I think it will. My prayer for our church on this Mother's Day is is that we as a church would be a place where moms and dads, of course, and everybody else would have an experience of the nurture and the care of God. They would walk away knowing that they're loved and valued by him. And my prayer is that as we leave this place, every marriage would be strengthened and every single person would as well walk in the purpose for which God has designed him or her. And every high schooler would know that to attempt life without God at the center is at best foolish and perhaps even dangerous. They would find that in Christ, in a relationship with him, that their deepest desires and purposes would be discovered and lived out. That they would have power, sustaining energy to walk wherever life takes them. I feel a bit like a parent up here half the time. Saying, come on, do the right thing. Make wise choices. Trust the Lord. Ask yourself and ask him what he would have you do and see where that takes you. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to actually take a few steps on that. So would you pull out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I've talked about the love of our 
heavenly father and the wisdom he offers, but it could be that you're not yet in a relationship with him. And if you're not, I want to give you a chance to grab that pen and check next step A on the connect card that you filled out earlier that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I want to ask you to agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. No amount of good works will secure a relationship between you and your heavenly Father. But if you'll trust the work Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, your sins can be covered and he'll lead your life. The biblical language for that is he becomes your savior or forgiver and your Lord, that is your leader. We'd ask you to check next step A and put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service and pray in a minute with me and ask God to save your soul and become his child in a formal way. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. In just a few weeks, we have some folks getting baptized. And if you have a question about this or want to join up, you just check the box we get started. And the next step C is for all the moms in the room, formal and informal. Really, I just mean ladies here. Here's a prayer I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to actually put in the names of the ladies that are important in my life. Here's what it says. Father, help. And then there's a spot for the name. One sentence. Here we go. Help this person know she's loved by you and find her true identity in you. Ladies, the world will lie to you. And they'll tell you you have to do A, B, and C to be valued. You have to look like this, do this, experience that. It's a lie. And I'm going to pray for those in my life that they'll find their true value and worth and dignity and the fact that they are made in the image of their heavenly father. And what he's called them to do is enough. Next step, D says, hey, I'll attend 4C's core rally. We have one next week. You were here last week. I told you about it. This is where those folks who call this church home get together and we talk about life here. If you're a volunteer, we strongly encourage you to be there you're a guest and you just want to know what we talk about, you're welcome to come. You just check the box. We send you the information, all right? The next step, C sa- or E says, I'll invite some friends to the 4C India Rummage Sale. If you check it, I'll send you a reminder and some words you can use to invite them as we raise money to support our orphanage and church planting ministry and our leaders there in India. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus and the way that he gave his life for us. God, thank you for moms who invested, who cared, who nurtured and fed us and kept us safe. And thank you, God, that you're the God who heals, that if that wasn't our experience, you can still make up the difference in our lives. Right now, Lord, I come to you on behalf of all the women in this room. The enemy seems to be having a a heyday in our culture, lying to them about where their value and worth is found. And I pray, God, that at least for the ladies in this room, that your truth would rise up against those lies and it would speak louder. That they don't have to do or be anything other than your child, and that alone makes them valuable. That alone brings worth and dignity. pray, Lord, that we'd put away the comparison trap. I pray, Lord, that we'd find nourishment and rest in you. I pray, Lord, that this would be a place where we rise up and walk in the boldness to which you've called us, free of fear and boldly pursuing the 
purpose you've called us to. I join with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I have nothing to bring you. So I trust the work you've done. Save my soul. Lead my life. Father, I pray for every lady in this room that today would be a day of joy. Your Holy Spirit would fill their hearts. I pray this in your name, the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.